Welcome to the 48th episode of Sports Avenue. I'm your host, Jimmy Simonis, and today we're going to be talking about basketball with an owner of the Vipers Pro Basketball Team out of Gurney, Illinois. I would like to welcome RJ White. RJ, how are you doing? I'm doing great. How are you? I'm doing good. Thank you for joining. Okay, RJ, so talk about how you became on this journey of becoming an owner of a semi-pro basketball team. Absolutely. So the overall goal is to manage a NBA G League team um, or to own a percentage of an NBA G League team. So in order for me to get experience, I had to actually have, um, you know, a hands-on knowledge of how to run a pro team. So uh, I purchased the Vipers uh, Pro Basketball under the ABA, and it was really like my pilot to understanding how um, a pro team is functioned um, as an independent or as a standalone under a particular type of league. And what made you want to become an owner of a basketball team? You know, I've been saying that since I was six years old, and I think it's just the, the atmosphere. Like, I don't know why I've always, I'm six feet and a half, by the way. So everybody is always asking me if I play ball and um, I just, I never played. I've always had an interest in the operations and the functions behind um, sports, especially basketball. So yeah, that's always been like my interest as far as just what it takes to run a successful organization, uh, what it takes to run a team, a winning team, um, and, you know, even running my team right now, I'm learning um, all of the things that I've literally studied since I was a youngie. So how did you study to become an owner of a basketball team without the experience of playing? You know, just general observation. Like I've been I've been a Pistons fan because our uh, family is originally from Louisiana and Michigan. So I've been a Pistons fan for quite some time and just studying, you know, all through the transition until uh, Rick Mahorn, you know, took over as general manager. That's that's how far back I've just been analyzing as far as how um, a successful team is ran to create a championship environment. So me, it will be analyzation, whether it be uh, exhibit like um, different teams and just knowledge, you know, um, is nothing to pick up, you know, your phone these days to read um, and what it takes to build a winning culture, what it takes to be um, appealing to a particular um, audience and what it takes to create a winning environment. And growing up, how did you learn to run the operations of basketball? Or was this something that, like, it took you a little while to understand? You know, growing up, I was glued to the TV. <laughs> Anything that had to do with basketball, basketball teams. You know, back in the day, um, I'm an 80s baby. So back in the day, they used to do a lot of behind the scene content, you know, stuff that wasn't appealing back then because nobody cared about it. They just wanted to see the game. Whereas now that I'm a millennial, Everybody wants to see the behind the scene content. That's what's making reality shows a hit, you know? So um, it's really funny because even back then, I found it very intriguing to get a lot of that behind the scenes content. So that way um, it would help with my knowledge on how to properly run the team and what it took. So out of all sports, why basketball? How'd that become your passion? Just just the aura about it or what was about, what made it for you the sport that you wanted to go into? It's the, uh, the cultural connection. It's just, you know, basketball is in so many so many different places you have to think basketball is a literal worldwide sport you know um, I ran track you know as in high school and you know I I didn't gravitate even to track as I did to the love that I had for the culture of basketball so I would say it would definitely be to the fact that that culture connects everybody because you know one basketball player they know somebody somewhere else 
within a distance or even without or in or out of a country. So um, basketball connects people. And I, I like that. And you said I'm a networker. <laughs> yeah, definitely. And you said that the ABA it does go uh, inter, international. It has international play, too. So talk about how that helps you in trying to understand the operations in an international environment as well. Well, they're just getting their feet under them for the international side. Um, pretty much everything that I do for the international side at this point is really standalone. So I've really taken the time myself to build those relationships that we have for uh, international connections. As far as me literally just getting on a plane and making those connections and building those strong foundations and relationships so it'll secure um, a lot of things for our players. So um, the ABA is they're building gravitation. But, you know, um, I think I'm. I'm a couple of light years ahead because, you know, I've been in the Caribbean since my year two um, and we're growing out to Asia since year three and Europe ever since uh, year four and five. And um, I know that's a lot of market that uh, the ABA hasn't created traction in as of yet. And even the NBA uh, <laughs> hasn't created that type of traction yet. Um, as far as I know right now, I am the only team um, in the in the world that has over 12 countries as far as um, international alliances. And how did you form those? Was just this going through like social media, like just you going on a plane to visiting these countries? What did you have to do to create these bonds? You know, the funniest thing is because my dad always told me, he's like, you know what? Like you are fearless <laughs> and you're a woman. So I need you to just not get on a plane and just go to these foreign countries and just talk to people. But that's actually how I am. You know, I'll hold a, a general screen um, and I'm, I'm a watcher. Like, I'm very patient. I'm like, you know, I'm like a wolf. So I literally will analyze a person, analyze their movement, see how they do business. And I might not even reach out and talk to you for years. You know, it could be two years, three years until I analyze to see how you do business. And then when I see that, you know, you do business in a way that matches my credo and the way that I want things for the Vipers and the Vipers brand, then yeah, I will reach out to you and there's no hesitancy getting on a plane, a private jet, whatever, to come and talk to you and have that conversation about how we can build synergy. So how did you develop this mindset of being patient and being on the prowl all the time? Because that's a mindset where, again, like in society where everything, like you said, you talk about patience where and it's a society that patience isn't much of a virtue anymore. It's kind of something that everyone wants the, the short-term gratification. How did you develop this mindset over time? Um, I'm going to give praise to my family. Like my mom is Southern. My dad is Southern. So, you know, that's the, that's the main thing that they teach us uh, or taught us or taught me and, you know, my siblings was, you know, just to be patient. And if it's something that you want, you don't give up on it. And everything takes time. Like my mom told me, like my business wasn't going to flourish for five years. She said that, like, okay, you're going to buy it. You're going to do great at it, but it's going to take you five years before you make a move. My pops told me like, you know, people are going to come at you. You're going to be considered a female, this, this, or that. But, you know, don't be rattled. Doesn't matter. Like, it's, if it's something that's a, a purpose of what you're here for, um, nothing can stop you. And so far, they both have been right. Uh, they have great advice. And I am where I am today. And I did want to touch about, upon the fact that you are a female owner. And again, in, across sports in general, there aren't many. So for you, becoming a female owner, what is a female owner? What does that mean to you, as well as in the world of what that means for the future of Few, uh, females in sports um i think it's it's a it's a good milestone um i have daughters so i think for me that's the biggest thing for them to know that they can be fearless i mean they have their own businesses and their businesses are immaculate i mean making over 10k um you know within within years as teenagers so it lets me know that i am motivation to you know the youth 
as far as them uh, creating that fearless niche. Um, I know being in sports and being a female in sports, it can be difficult. Uh, I can't say per se that I have had an issue because uh, every time I walk in a room, respect is given because, you know, respect is earned. So I just try to, um, you know, keep that same model. And if a person asks me as far as a female in sports, what is it that they need to do enough for them to flourish? And I just always tell them, you know, as long as you keep it business and you keep it professional, you have no worries. And, um, and you know, expect somebody to say something to you um, because it's out of the norm. You know, that's like seeing, you know, a pig fly. It, it doesn't happen very, very often. And what it does is something that is um, to be, you know, woed about because it doesn't happen often. So as a woman in sports, it does not happen very often. And it's a it's a growing trend. But I do think that the criteria um, needs to be set as far as um, how it's going to proceed forward with the same monotone of professionalism. Because I think that's the biggest fear with letting females into the sports industry is uh, how we will perceive it, uh, whether emotional or the monotone behind professionalism while we're there. And what for you was tough for you to overcome? Were there any difficulties in the way, obviously, with becoming an owner of a basketball team? Man, I would say the most difficult thing was competition. Like, because people thought because I was a female that they could just like compete or try to find ways to like sabotage the business. And, um, you know, it really just taught me about the competitive nature because, and it really helped me more than anything. Because I'm thinking, like, okay, in the NBA, yeah, you have the collective bargain agreement, you know, you have the no fraternizing policies, you have the no um, uh, tampering, anti tampering policies. So, it just helped me better understand how to deal with people um, when they're just trying to get more information on your organization. Because, you know, for us, you know, we've had people send people to come and be a part of our organization to see how we do business on the inside. We've had players, you know, come to see how, you know, uh, we run our organization. We've had people try to get hired so they can, you know, have access to our documents and connections. So, it really, to me, just created that fighter and competitive spirit. So that way, you know, if you're not a brick wall, I'm going through you. So. And talk about the Vipers for a basketball team. What do you think? Because the ABA is a very, there's a lot of teams in multiple regions. What makes you feel that Vipers Pro basketball is different from the rest? Um, well, it's facts. You know, they say ball don't lie and numbers don't lie. I mean, the Vipers is the only team, like I said before, that has over 12 international connections. We're the only team to uh, create classics, tours, and uh, international opportunities for more than 45 players. Um, we're the only team at this point, from what I know of, that, um, that are in the position to be a transitional team between two leagues. So once, you know, ABA is over, then we'll compete in, you know, a summer season almost similar to you know, like the Summer Basketball League or Europe Basketball League um, overseas. And then, um, you know, there are a lot of teams in the ABA, but, you know, uh, reality does set in that the teams that are created sometimes do disintegrate within months if they don't have the proper plan. And then there's great teams that have been there for 10 years but still don't have the same $1.9 million in analytics um, as far as, you know, what we have for Vipers Pro um, That print does a lot for our organization that makes us stand alone. And you talk about analytics. How how important has analytics become in sports? Oh, very. I mean, if you don't have analytics, you don't even know your, your client base. Um, I feel like that's the biggest gap right now between uh, the big industries as far as like NBA, MLB, and NFL. Um, they can't connect to that millennial audience. And a lot of that is because the analytics is just not right. It's not there. 
Um, you know, they're using a system probably going back, I think, from 2007. And uh, millennials were born in 2000. <laughs> so it's really hard for them to, to understand a general um, generation or genre if your analytics only takes you seven years into their birth because at seven years old, they're not doing anything. <laughs> So um, that's what makes us stand, you know, stand alone because here we are in 2020 and millennials are 20 years old. So we've already been able to keep that data and understanding of what it is that they're looking for to make um, our market and our um, outcome successful. In which if you ever drop by a Vipers game, you'll see that it works. And for you, how do you how do teams use analytics? Because everyone talks about it, but how is it utilized for these teams? Um. I only can speak for my team because I haven't heard any other teams even talk about analytics and nor have I seen it. Um, if you go to my page, you'll see I'm posting my analytics so people understand, like we're getting 256,000 hits organically on our page each day. Um, so, you know, that way, because, you know, they say numbers don't lie, but proof, um, you know, helps all. So for us, we just use analytics, like I said, as a breakdown as far as um, what our fans are looking for. Uh, nationally and internationally and ways that we could use that for expansion and uh, engagement opportunities. And how do you, like, how do you, I guess, gauge from audiences around different areas to make sure you hit, you hit all your, your clients, your potential, your potential audience? Oh man, we have, we have a immaculate street team and word of mouth. So if we see that there is a particular area in which that it just does not have a lot of action or activity, you can expect us to be there within 30 to 60 days. So if we have a city where we get no hits in regards to the Vipers, we're there. So you'll, you'll catch us with an event. You'll catch us with something um, to just help spike that interest again uh, for those numbers and metrics. Definitely. And being an owner of this team, how important has it been to find a, a team of front office executives to help you run this because it's tough to run it alone right oh yeah uh, i've done it before but you know it, it, a person can be a person but you're better with a team so um i'm very very um careful as far as like who i bring around the organization because you know the organization is like your baby you know you don't just have everybody around your kids you don't have everybody watch your kids so that's the same way i feel about my organization because it is a brand um, a growing brand, a brand that should be protected because it is making quite the, the name for itself and growing at a rapid rate. So um, front office staff, executive staff um, that is and has the same vision as the organization is a must. And uh, I have that right now and we're growing that. We have a few interns that we are uh, that we have in right now and they're just understanding, you know, what the expectations are. They haven't even been really given tasks yet as far as what it is that we want um, or expect of them is just creating the model and understanding the credo and the atmosphere. And then once they're given uh, tasks and expectations, then they're set out fully because they already know what we expect. Yeah. And with having a connection with your staff, are you close with your players? Do you feel like that's important as an owner to have a connection with your players? Um, I think it is to be a hundred percent honest. I mean, it would be no different than, uh, you know, Jeannie Bussey for the Lakers and uh, you know, her uh, conversations that she has with LeBron James. If you have your star players, they have to know that you have their back. So those conversations are necessary in order for them to understand um, the importance that they bring to your club. So um, to answer that question, yes, uh, the players do know that they can reach out to me. We do have an open door policy for HR. 
Um, but we do also say, you know, your front line of conversation always should go through your coaches because they're going to be able to be more reachable um, than me. You know, I'm usually always in a meeting or on a phone call or doing something where if it's a, an immediate need to uh, speak to me, I might not be able to get to that conversation until, you know, a day or two later, whereas the coaches, you know, they are rapidly and readily available. And how do you manage having all these different responsibilities, being the owner of not only just your basketball team, you have three other businesses you manage as well. Definitely. And I have children. I have five children. <laughs> as I say, so, and you add that on top of it, you know, <laughs> your life never stops. Yeah, it, it really doesn't. Um, I think I'm just really, really great with time management. Uh, my father is former military. So I think, again, like I said, that was one of the best things that he passed down to us um, is just, you know, time management, being on time, writing things down, being goal oriented. Uh, you know, and my mom is uh, she was really great with the follow through, you know, don't start another task until another one is finished. Don't put too much on your plate that you can't handle. And, you know, family always comes first. So um, I've been blessed enough to have, um, like I said, a great group of people around me to help, you know, reduce and shrink the load. And my children are immaculate. You know, they're honors kids. So I haven't had to take that time to take away, you know, to, uh, you know, help re restructure anything for them. They, um, they and my family and the team have all been able to be on one accord to help uh, this mission. That's awesome because I, you feel like when I think of like owners, it's like it's only about the business when in reality you guys are people too and trying to have that balance, it must be really difficult. Uh, it can. I mean, if, if you have a, a chaotic <laughs> um, environment, because if you're thinking, you know, you're dealing with kids, you're dealing with life, you're dealing with your team, you're dealing with, you know, you have players or so your players' lives, because what they do do affect your brand and your team. Um, like I said, I just been blessed enough that nobody has had any issues that affect the brand. Um, I haven't had any family issues that affected me to alleviate me from the brand. Um, in fact, I literally just gave birth to a little girl not too long ago and everybody stepped up to help, uh, you know, make sure that the organization was ran with the same standard and efficiency, um, during my leave. So I think it was, a. I think I'm just blessed to say that I have a, a good team and that's the reason why we call each other family because uh, they really do show it. First of all, congratulations on the baby daughter. Thank you. <laughs> uh, and also, you also run three other businesses. What for you, what is the biggest thing you've learned running a business, running an organization from top to bottom? Structure. Uh, if your business is not structured, then you're going to have a lot of hiccups. Um, you know, I've been talking to a lot of production uh, teams uh, for some big networks because, you know, they literally want to film the marketing process behind the Vipers. And, you know, we're having those conversations for those uh, big television stations um, or as far as acronyms that will be uh, showing the vaccine, how a lot of this stuff works. And then, uh, you know, marketing for me has always been a niche. Like I've always loved marketing, like to, to be able to do you know, community work, I just, I, I'm infatuated with it. So I do think that um, it just makes that process just a little bit easier. And what for you made marketing so, I guess, or what made marketing for you so interesting? It's just the connection of people. You know, I think that's what these big businesses are missing. You know, um, when you start getting into those Fortune 500 businesses, they stop getting connected with the community. And I do feel like the community is what supports the big businesses. If you see a lot of this um, wave of these big Fortune 500 businesses that are shutting down, uh, I do feel like it would be a different wave if they had a more better, a better connection with the community. You know, when 
when you tell when a mom and pop store says, "Hey, you know, we're thinking about closing our door," it's the community that comes together that helps them to stay open. You know, it's the people that choose to shop there opposed to the big guys, um, so that way they stay functioning. And I think a lot of big companies they tread away from that because you know they start looking at the um, you know the bottom line and the profit uh, and loss margins, and they forget that these are still people that you're connecting with and you're going to need them. Definitely. And for you, how do you keep your team with, involved within the community of Gurney, Illinois? Oh my, my team is probably like <laughs> the most interactive with the community. If anyone takes that time to go to our Facebook page, Instagram, you'll see all we do is community work. Um, you'll catch a Viper popping up at a birthday party. If we know that one of the kids that comes to our games is just, you know, they're a fan and they, they, they come to the games and they love, you know, a particular player. I literally would get on the phone and say, hey, you know, such and such birthday is today. I want you to go pop up on them and just, you know, tell them happy birthday. It'll make their day. Like, I'm really all about the experience. And um, a lot of times I think people, they remove that because it's the moments um, that athletes provide for our youth that makes our youth want to be um, just like them and create the atmosphere that they want to make a change to. So um, you'll see in Gurney, we're everywhere. We've done pep rallies. We've done meet and greets. We've done pop-ups. <laughs> we're in the gym. We're jumping. We're going to different gyms. We're playing against pedestrians that just want to have a fun, friendly game with the Vipers. And it's just a, it's a all-around community-oriented um, team. And they are also required per their contract to make sure that they do appearances as well. So. Um, even if they just didn't have that as a personality, as far as their character, it's still a requirement of most of them as a brand. So everybody's on one accord. And for, when you talk about players, are these guys like, are they from like college? Are they coming out of college to, into the league? Are they ex NBA players? Where do you get these players from? It's usually more kids coming out of college. We usually get like D1 to D3 players. Right now we have a few D1 players that are on our team. And yeah, they're just, they're straight out of college. Um, once all of their eligibility is gone, then uh, we start that recruiting process. I've luckily have not had to do more of like the scavenger hunt. Um, we've been blessed enough to get people to just reach out to us. Uh, our website is very efficient. So you'll literally get people that'll just, uh, you know, write the website and say, hey, you know, I'm interested in playing for you guys. Uh, we do a full scouting report. Um, we do analyze your character. You know, we take a look at Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. We see how you post. We might even go back two, three years from when you were in college to see how your character was on the basketball team for the college that you played for to decipher if you are a great fit for the organization or not. And what's the goal as an organization for these players? Is the end game to get these guys into the NBA or what's the goal? Well, the probability of getting into the NBA now, we already can see how that is. And with the ever-changing, um, you know, agreements that are going on right now, um, I do think that it's going to make it a little bit tougher for them to get into the big league NBA. But G League is definitely a possibility. Um, you're seeing a lot more players that come from D1 colleges skip over the G League and go directly overseas. So that's why we have those uh, overseas connections, because our overall goal really is for them to come to us uh, play for us, maybe even for months, uh, maybe even, you know, a year or two, and they go off and they go overseas and we never have to see them again beyond the, you know, congratulatory process of uh, their accomplishments overseas.
And do you think that the NBA will ever go back to a point where they have these kids coming out of high school? Or do you think, like with the one-and-done rule, that it kind of affects the way how the game or how these kids go into the NBA that maybe like the semi-pro leagues might be kind of another way where you guys kind of take some of those players? I do think that it does affect them because if you're looking at how great LeBron has um, has been and come um, with and through and under the one-and-done, I think you're going to have more people that's going to um, – go in his tracks, you know, uh, that's the point of an athlete, right, is for people to mirror and to um, replicate. And, you know, even the younger kids now, they're saying, well, I want to be like, you know, LeBron. So they're going to make those same executive decisions. And if that decision is not there, then they will go to, you know, the next best thing um, where they can still reach out those goals. And if that means them coming to a pro team like ours, then, yeah, they will do it. Um, the, the upside for that is as long as these pro teams have goals and morals, you know, because I think, um, the biggest thing that, that you can have as an athlete is education. You know, you don't know how long the body is going to last. Um, the mind will always be there, but the body doesn't always have the same intent. And I always say, if you have eligibility, there's no point of doing a one and done when you can go to a D1 college and you know, uh, gain that experience, get a degree and still have the same outcome in four years. And you never know what conversations can be had during those conditioning summers and, um, you know, plan for those particular colleges um, to get you where it is that you want to be once you graduate. And how, and for when you are looking for players to, to be on your team, what is the most important thing that you look for? But maybe besides character. Um. Well, character is always number one. Well, but definitely. aside from that, it would be just their their connection with the community and their willingness to want to win. Because, you know, that was an issue for us. Um, you know, our first couple of years is just we could not get, you know, our, our traction under us to win. It was like we had a, a team stacked of, you know, well-known D1 guys, well-known D2, D3 guys, all conference winners. But, you know, it was a character clash, you know, everybody doing one-on-one, uh, people can't communicate. Um, everybody was the man, you know, on their team. So you put them all in one environment. They just didn't want to communicate with each other because everybody feels like they had that stardom effect. So um, I just started looking at those people that are team players, you know, the legacy of how you build stuff in college. It's about right now and how you guys are going to come together as a team um, to make sure that we, you know, are eligible for regionals and finals. And with struggling for those years, how did you end up switching that mindset from struggling to win at all to having that winning mentality, the, the, the Mamba mentality, as Kobe Bryant says? Well, um, if you look at how many different coaches <laughs> um, Kobe Bryant had to go under and go through, but he never removed that mentorship process from one particular coach. And um, I think that was like, you know, not to blame, you know, staff or anything of that nature, but I think it was just a matter of just switching different pieces to the puzzle, you know, uh, making sure that everything was on one accord and uh, making sure that we had, you know, a fair understanding of our expectations and sticking to them. You know, if, uh, things did not pan, um, if we didn't like certain actions, then immediately, uh, you know, we were removing players. And um, as you can see through the rotation, as even in the NBA, if, if staff didn't work, then we were removing staff or relocating or repositioning staff. So, yeah, um, 
that was probably like our biggest challenge, but we were able to get everything on one accord by just making sure that those pieces um, actually match like a puzzle. And that's very important within an organization because when you see a lot of these, maybe some of these like the bottom feeder organizations in these professional leagues, it's like they continue to keep moving these things, but they don't kind of like evaluate what they're doing. It's just kind of like they move the pieces to the puzzle for something to work. Oh, yeah. And that actually is very common, you know. Um, the biggest thing that I have seen, um, which I think the Mavericks, they do a great job is uh, they do a lot of personality tests. And um, I actually respect that because it's really hard for you to hire, um, we'll say, a whole staff of Yale, Harvard, and Princeton candidates, and then none of their personalities mesh, you know? It's like you have a room full of knowledge, and it's appreciated. You have a, a room full of um, ideas, which is appreciated, but if these people cannot come together to communicate effectively, if the leadership that is leading these people does not communicate effectively, then you really have just a room full of ideas and communication that never gets sorted out. Right. And to talk about the ABA, what is the main goal going forward in continuing to grow the brand? Well, um, the overall goal really is to create just a tad more presence. Um, I know people are like, well, you're at 1.9 million in analytics. What presence could you make? <laughs> um, we want to create a bigger digital footprint. Like right now, I do think that we do great when it comes to, you know, like the social media, social media presence community, but more of who we are. Um, I think that's what we're missing. Uh, I just literally did like an interview not too long ago and a person asked me, he said, well, uh, on a scale of, you know, one to 100 um, percent, where are you as far as success rate uh, for your business? Like, where do you feel like you're at as far as um, how much you've accomplished and where you want to be? And when I told him I'm only at 10 percent, it's like he just looked at me like, what do you mean you're at 10 percent? Like 10 percent out of 100 percent. I said, yeah, so I still have 90 more percent to go. So what people see right now isn't even the finished product of where the Vipers will be. It's literally only 10 percent of um, me starting this process and journey. And I do want to say, like, uh, with these, like, the semi-pro league, I think it's really cool and how you can localize it in that people, it's kind of like, like, it's like almost, I say, like, a neighborhood, but it has, like, like you said, the good community bond feel that helps you because these players, they're still athletes and they're still professionals in their own respect. And to have that community bond, I think, is important, especially in a lot of these communities where they don't have a professional team. Like Gurney, Illinois, more than likely doesn't have a professional team besides you guys, which I think is important because then they they have pride in something to to go to. Absolutely. And we, we literally are like meeting families and you can be out at the grocery store and they're like, hey, you know, that's the owner of the Viper. It is a very locale. Um, I hate to say that most people are not willing to take that hour and 15 minute drive to Chicago, you know, to go to a Bulls game, to spend 130 or $140 on parking and food and tickets and still not have that up close and personal experience opposed to, you know, where you're spending less than $50, you're getting the same experience. You have local uh, parking, you can literally drive home and 15, 20 minutes, you, you know, you can high five a player after a game, you could take a picture with the player. I think it just gives it a more um, personable um, effect. And for cities like Gurney, um, it just works out perfectly. Uh, they are, you know, and have made it quite clear that we are officially their 
uh, protein. Um, we chose to go there off of that, you know, notion alone because they have one of the largest malls um, in Illinois, centrally located there. And I just thought it was a great idea. And the mayor, you know, she jumped aboard and she's behind us. She's a, a supporter uh, to the moon and back. I mean, she comes to most of the games and uh, she knows most of the players by first name and jersey number. And um, I respect it, you know, as her as being a female mayor and um, as the goals that they have as far as the city. And as I watch how the city is uh, trending to a vibrant, uh, positive community, um, I just I just think it just was a perfect fit and it worked out perfect for everybody. And so what's next for Vipers basketball as you continue? Like you said, you're only at 10 percent. What is that 90 percent going to entail? Just increasing the popular or the, your popularity? What is to do? Well, it definitely will be increasing popularity, but, you know, we're having some conversations with some really big networks now. Um, it's so crazy because, you know, we're starting out as, a, you know, under um, the ABA footprint. And, you know, as we start to do more of like that standalone and that independent venture, um, you'll see that big companies, big Fortune 500 companies are getting behind us and they're starting to create more of a digital footprint for us. So, I mean, you could very well end up seeing us on, on one of these big platforms as a, as a series. And that's awesome. But also, what is next for you? Well, I'm going to continue to do this until um, I get that phone call. Uh, the minute I get something that is a, a vibrant offer, because I, I have been reached out to by the NBA before. Um, I've been sought after for basketball operations. But uh, my goal is very clear. Um, the goal really is that percentage ownership um, that functionality um, and functionality for a G League and um, the ability to be able to implement um, my talent uh, with a team that I can take forward uh, on a G League level. So once all of that is met, you never know, you might see headlines of me um, being a percentage owner for a G League team. And those conversations um, weren't too far away. So do you think you're close to getting there or do you feel like you have a, a couple more steps to take before you, you get that jump? I'm going to say I'm close. You know, uh, the best part about LinkedIn <laughs> is uh, it does tend to tattle on who is watching your page. <laughs> so um, I think that I, I would say that I'm pretty close. And uh, the good thing is um, I have particular teams in mind that I would love to work with and to see those those particular teams um, kind of watch what it is that I'm doing. Um, does give me a sense of hope and reality that uh, I'm not too far away. That's really cool. And I just want to say, I really appreciate you taking the time uh, to talk about your, your journey because I, I really appreciate that because when we talk about, like, I never would have thought that I would have met someone who's an owner of a semi-pro basketball team through LinkedIn. And like you said, talking about LinkedIn, I mean, that's an awesome, this is an awesome opportunity to hear how you run operations for a team that's in Gurney, Illinois. I would have never imagined that, to be honest. Yeah, I mean, I've talked to some really great NBA legends, and when they actually look at the, you know, the the diagram of how the Vipers is set up, automatically they're like, man, you got something good going here. Because, you know, again, they say semi-pro because of the ABA, but uh, realistically speaking, you know, once the ABA season is over, it's a lot of that um, out-of-season networking and those out-of-season interactions that is what actually makes the Vipers who they are. Um, the ABA is a steadily growing organ, uh, you know, league. And, um, you know, as with everything, um, it needs time and growth and uh, structure. I mean, when you have 150 teams, you couldn't expect to everybody to be on the same accord. 
Um, you'll have a lot of fallacies. Um, it's a lot of things to change. Um, but, you know, for us, we just do a lot of exclusivity. Um, you'll hear a lot of people say, you know, man, they just, they won't do anything unless, unless it's exclusive. And um, that's for a reason of us protecting our brain. So, yeah, I think that it's a, it's going to be a growing endeavor and I'm excited to see where 2020 takes us. Yeah. And where do you see the growth of the ABA going? Is this going to be a potential international organization? Do you think it can go that route? Um, I would say it would take some, um, a lot of elbow grease, <laughs> uh, but do I think that it's impossible? Absolutely not. Uh, I mean, they have 150 teams. That's 150 opportunities to, to, you know, to break ground. But um, I do feel like it, it has to tighten up as far as just the, um, you know, the structuring, just like, like I said, for my organization, everything starts from the head of the organization and uh, everybody has to be on one accord in order for everybody to flourish because you're living out one particular mission and goal. And um, when you have 150 teams, it's really hard to do that because that's 150 personalities, 150 different employees under the one um, entity. And uh, a lot of times, you know, you, you're dealing with a lot of, um, you know, intercity teams and things of that nature that I might have a game in Gurney, Illinois. And, you know, my standard is, you know, we don't taunt or uh, we don't, you know, do certain things at our games. And then you could play another team and that's what the organization for them is built off of. And, you know, it's just, it doesn't match, you know, what it is that we're looking to do in our audience and what they're used to, you know? So um, I think that there's just some things that, that has to be fixed uh, on a realistic note. And then, yeah, I can see their blueprint expanding greatly. And how do you think that would work with 150 organizations trying to come together for that same mindset and goal? It's going to be hard. And I think that's actually going to be the fear factor or that is the fear factor for, um, you know, a lot of these, these sponsors and things of that nature, because it's like, how do we get 150 teams on one accord? Um, how do we make sure that out of 150 teams that, the professionalism is there. Um, how do we make sure that on camera uh, that these games look like professional games, you know, from refing to crowd control to team control? Um, how do we do this? And um, I think that it's going to be an ever-growing process. And for the Vipers, uh, we, again, we just make sure that we hold ourselves to that standard uh, for our location and our city to make sure that um, if at the say the least, when you go to a Vipers game, you know uh, what standard and what to expect. I have one more question to ask you. What sure. has been your biggest inspiration in trying to achieve all these goals? Oh, my family, my little people. Like <laughs> uh, the goal really is just to make sure that I'm securing, um, you know, that generational legacy uh, for them. You know, my son, he's gotten some calls from, a few uh, NBA players that do uh, AAU and things of that nature. And for him to grow up um, as a seven-year-old and the size of a 12-year-old practically, and he's around the team all day, he's in my, you know, in my house dribbling and shooting and he's replicating the team, you know, my team, the names of my players. And uh, to see him um, basically want to be, you know, what my team is, it's just a motivation in itself that, um, you know, what I'm doing is in the right direction because I'm reaching the audience that I want to reach and making sure that they're making the decisions that's right to make sure that their um, future is, is secure too.
That's awesome, and I just want to say congratulations to you because you definitely have something going really well there in Gurney, Illinois. Thank you. Yeah, I can see. Uh, we've been getting a lot of buzz, and it's been uh, it's been a true, true blessing. Um, we've had teams really try to <laughs> try to like step in and like throw a team inside of the city, and it, it just you know it's been crazy. The competition has been fierce, but you know what? Uh, I wouldn't have it any other way because you know they say what well, don't break you make you. So um, I'm just looking to be made. I just want to say best of luck going forward, and I hope we can connect more soon and talk more about the, your your team and what's going on for you. Oh, absolutely. I look forward to it. And thanks for having me again. Oh, yeah. more. You're more than welcome. And that has been the 48th episode of Sports Avenue. Everyone, thank you for listening, and thank you for the, the continuous support. 2020 is going to be a great year for Sports Avenue moving forward. Stick with us. There's going to be a lot of great things coming up. Everyone have a great year, have a great week, have a great day, talk to you soon.